Hello everyone and welcome to the EVN Disrupt Podcast. My name is Najdet Zatergyan and I'm the editor of the Creative Tech section here at EVN Report. In this episode, Khachatur Vigabian, the co-founder and CEO of StyleBit, joins us to discuss all things design systems. Khachatur breaks down how design systems are built and how StyleBit helps companies track design system metrics such as adoption. We also spoke about how modern AI systems enable non-technical people to interact with engineering systems through natural language interfaces. Khachatur also shared with us his entrepreneurial journey and the path to finding a product idea that could gain traction in the marketplace. Thank you for listening. Khachatur, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Let's start with a little bit of your background. Sure. How'd you get started? What'd you do for school? What'd you study? And how'd you end up in the world of yeah, tech and entrepreneurship? Sure. It's a quite a journey. At first, thanks very much for having me. It's it's really great pleasure to be here. So I can go a little bit to the past in terms of I started in computers and in programming back in 2006 when I got my first PC. So then, of course, I started to play games and stuff, but always I was reassembling and reassembling the PC. So I really got that interest in the hardware and stuff. And um, were you configuring it, adding new parts and stuff? Or? Yeah, so I was just always tearing something apart and always breaking things up. And I remember there was this guy who was coming and reinstalling the Windows back then uh, with 8,000 drums. Every month he was doing that and it was taking him all day. It was, it was really fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, then I started in the Polytechnic University, the State Engineering University of Armenia, uh, in hardware engineering and microelectronics. Then I got to Synopsys in very large-scale integrated systems, and so I did the hardware. My By education, I'm a hardware engineer. Mm. Uh, then I did my master's in Synopsys too, but always in the meantime, I was doing software. But I've kind of not worked in the hardware engineering field and in terms of getting salary and stuff. But always I did software, and specifically I was really interested in graphical interfaces. Always I did like user interfaces, front-end engineering, graphical user interfaces and stuff. Um, so then it sl- slowly started to be my passion towards like creating graphics UIs, uh, graphics engineering and stuff. So that is like a very seamless integration into design world, right. uh, into UIs, into design tools and stuff. I've never been a designer who in designs interfaces, but I've always been involved into design tools. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of my all like hardware engineering, software, and then eventually yeah. graphics engineering. But I want to learn more about why you're interested in graphics engineering, but um, it's interesting that you ended up at Synopsys right after graduating. Yeah. Because that's pretty much as good of a place as you can end up right out of school in Armenia. Yeah. And one of the things that's that I've really observed is a lot of entrepreneurs within the Armenian ecosystem, they've had the like great fortune of being at some great institution, whether it be at a company level or at a school level and stuff. For example, I even include like high schools like FizzMath at that. Um, like yeah. there's a huge, but just based on our podcast guests, yeah. it seems like some, I, I don't know, maybe like 40 to 50% of our guests have been FizzMath grads. So I always find that interesting. Tell us a little bit about what the culture at Synopsys was like and and how did that impact you? How did that influence you? Yeah, sure. Um, So Synopsys is one of that great places in terms of hardware engineering where you can really study real world stuff. And we're talking like world-class quality. Yeah, of course. One of the biggest. uh, Yeah, of course. So when when we were back in in my bachelor years at Synopsys, we were doing real stuff with a in IC designer and com, uh, DC compiler or whatever, we were doing like 80 or 70 nanometer stuff back when we were just learning. And right after the next building, like in the next building, people were designing like five nanometers, 10 nanometers processors. It was like nuts. Like doing that and being there in Armenia, it's really, really awesome. And Synopsys is a like um, powerhouse in terms of the right. uh, hardware engineering and the education inside in terms of hardware engineering and for them it's the Armenia is the one of the best places like they can foster their own talent here synopsis as far as I know has second largest R&D in Armenia like yeah. the first one as far as I remember it was in India and the second one is in Armenia. So um, giving like having those prospects like students from uh, State Engineering University of Armenia and mostly State Engineering University of Armenia. Of course, they had also a partnership with State University of Armenia, but yeah, mostly they were coming from Polytechnic, basically. Giving that possibility there, it's really awesome. And uh, to be honest, there in, in Synopsis, there wasn't like a, a hard focus on entrepreneurship or something related to that. But we had a class which was like just plain entrepreneurship, but it was just focused on computer science, whatever, the technology, the opportunities, the market and stuff. 
uh, but yeah, Synopsis is just a really, really great place to end up after State Engineering University. Um, because as, um, like, it is sad, of course, but uh, the Polytechnic University is a really, really good place, but it's really outdated. So just after that, being in Synopsis was really, really cool. On the podcast, we've spoken somewhat about YSU's efforts to maybe cultivate a little bit of like an entrepreneurship community there. We've spoken a little bit about AUAs, but we haven't spoken about Polytechnic before. Are there any like on-campus clubs, communities, initiatives to encourage startup activity and encourage entrepreneurship among uh, students? There is. Uh, there is, but mostly the focus on around engineering, engineering in a startup culture and stuff. Recently, they, um, I can't remember the year they renovated it. It was cafeteria. They renovated it into a entrepreneurial house like there are events there people are just going and hanging out there it was a, it is a really really cool place to be in and also like um state engineering university of armenia had a long prolonged partnership with microsoft hmm. uh, the microsoft research research center was always uh, around that they also had partnerships with national instruments um like ni short term so they really they did a lot of partnerships uh but we hadn't had any entrepreneurial classes there so it was really only hard focused on engineering. Um, but I think they're doing a lot of efforts in just um, connecting the students with the um, entrepreneurial market, like what is it, how you can create some stuff and how you can use your engineering skills to, to do that. But that is specifically the hardware and microelectronics inside the Polytechnic University. I do know that the programming department inside the Polytechnic, they do involve a lot with uh, industry experts and stuff. I think up today we do have the Kaspersky Lab in mm. uh, in State Engineering University, so it's really cool stuff. Yeah. So I think they are doing the efforts. Yeah. For people who don't know, tell us what that lab is. So yeah, that is um, Kaspersky Lab is the a small research lab where people in program in computer science department in the state engineering university of Armenia, they are doing research in cybersecurity. Uh, they do have the tools from Kaspersky. They do have the experts from Kaspersky. As far as I remember, just coming and visiting uh, once in a while. So there's also a really good culture, mm -hmm. good way to connect the student with the broader culture right. of the field. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but I don't think that it, the hard focus is on entrepreneurship. Right. Still. Yeah. So it's it's just focused on engineering and stuff. To some extent, I guess it probably makes sense because doing hardware startups anywhere, but in Armenia especially, is extremely difficult. Oh yeah. So if there's a huge focus on hardware engineering within the university, it understands why that pipeline is tough to sort of create from scratch. Yeah. But now there's a number of successful startups and entrepreneurs that have, are grads of uh, Polytechnic. So the one that comes to mind is Gagan from Expert Technology. So Robin, the robot's creator. Yeah, yeah. Was a, mm -hmm. yeah I think it is bachelor's, master's, and PhD. At, uh, yeah, and at also in Synopsis too. That's an synopsis yeah. too. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and now that style book grows. Uh, so it's the onus is on you guys to go back there and yeah. I guess cultivate yeah. that culture, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, Okay, so, and I got to ask, why graphics engineering? Throughout my computer science studies, I always avoided graphics engineering oh, all throughout. So tell me, what, tell me yeah. what I missed out on. So I think I had, um, I was lucky to really love the games, like mm. computer games, but not in just, of, like, in, not in terms of fun, but also in terms of understanding what is going on there. Like how you can uh, view user interfaces, 3D graphics on the 2D screen. Uh, and also, I, I one of the really heroes of mine is John Carmack, mm -hmm. uh, the founder, the creator of Doom, and uh, all his writings, all the books that is associated with and the sci-fi, um, like really helped me in that. But also, I I was really lucky that in math, like the linear algebra was the only thing that was really easy for me, not the other parts. It was just came somewhat natural to me, but that was like a really good combination basically right. i would not say that i was doing a lot of like hardcore linear algebra stuff at my prior experiences but i do did have something involved there having just pixels like basic triangles and create games out of those triangles it's like really mind-boggling like yeah. um it, those are just triangles basically like at the lower 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 level those are just triangles right. so it, it was just 
fun. Like right. it's really, really fun. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I ended up in like loving and uh, like doing something in graphics engineering and just in right. user interfaces. So matrix multiplication plus Doom got yeah, you to yeah, 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 basically yeah. <laughs> the graphics yeah, editor. Yeah. I think if every entrepreneur who got their start because they loved Doom gave uh, the guy like point zero zero one percent, he would be the world's first trillionaire. Because you keep hearing it on podcasts about <laughs> yeah. how because it was it was probably one of the first games that was also like configurable, right? Like there was things oh, you could do inside. They, and, they're still yeah. up to this day. Uh, people are releasing some extensions or level ups in the Doom, yeah. like in the traditional environment like that pixelated graphics and stuff mm -hmm. it's it's like the culture of doom it's mesmerizing there is a very phenomenal book called masters of doom that book is like one of the best ones i've read in uh, quite a while so uh, it tells about the silicon valley culture in, around the games the hardware stuff the nvidia stuff how people were just hacking games in their like basements how the government was like pushing them back like because the doom was really really like uh, heavy on some 18 plus stuff like mm. blood and whatever right so uh, how they um, fought that bag how they did that it's just really really cool yeah that's interesting i never thought about that but at the time there was like a huge anti-video game push from like, especially in like conservative circles within the united states yeah, yeah, that yeah. this was cr uh, causing violence and stuff and yeah. shootings and things yeah, yeah yeah i forgot about all that and yeah. also like the doom um doom and i as far as I know, it was um, Commander Kin. They were the first ones which had like immersive graphic things. Like it was the first one which which had higher FPSs, um, somewhat 3D experiences where you can move the mouse around and you can move the world around. Um, so that smooth scroll experiences and stuff, it was the first one in the mass market right. with that one. And it was really causing fat epilepsy issues. Um, and like, of course, every new stuff should be regulated, mm -hmm. um, in, even if it's tied to computer stuff. Sure. So yeah, it was a really, really like interesting time there, yeah. And I guess like the modern day version would probably be something like Minecraft, right? Because it also has the same configurability and things. Yeah, or? in terms of configurability, yeah. for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, I mean, it's it's really fascinating to see that back then, uh, people like ID Software, like John Carmack and, and all the team like uh, thought about having the extensible platform mm -hmm. there because the extensibility, is basically the key and if if we see i mean we can also draw parallels like in design tools too like figma is a really powerhouse because it has the extensibility there mm -hmm. like the plugin ecosystem and whatever that like people can just um, augment the experience in figma so that extensibility in mass adoption mm -hmm. is definitely the key i think yeah. So now we've officially transitioned to uh, some of the more relevant stuff that you're working on today. Before you tell us what Stylebit is and what Stylebit does, define the, the sort of the problem statement that you guys are working on. What are design systems? What are the issues or what are the challenges with working with them today? And, and then tell us how you guys are solving that. Sure. Uh, I will get you started with what design systems are, basically. So the design systems, um, to be honest, I don't like that name. But uh, design systems are the set of specifications and the guidelines, which are reusable, basically. So designers and engineers collectively agree on very small elements like Lego pieces. Uh, so then they can reuse them. In programming world, we know them as libraries, frameworks, mm -hmm. whatever. It's like you have a small library and then you can reuse it inside your code base, right? So design systems are basically that. Uh, those are just a set of specifications like um, by specifications, I mean components, like that's a wider word known to the people. The components can be a single button, it can be a drop down, it can be an avatar, it can be a search box, uh, a form. So all that little elements inside the user interfaces that we can see. Um, those are components. They are being added up with the very small elements like typography, text size, colors, border radiuses and wherever. And that in summary, that becomes as a design system. Uh, so then that design system is being replicated. So designers have the design system drawn in design tools and the engineers code that in, in their like frameworks like React, yeah. Angular or whatever. Um, so why design systems are really hyped in 
last years because like the consensus is that it really helps to speed things up because when designers know that they can create a page let's say an account settings page with already existing ui components that they know that are coded on the engineering side they know that that page is going to take like four hours or five hours instead of a couple of days then they are reusing their own components which speeds up their workflows for right. designers and then they hand off that page account settings page to engineers and then they reuse the components they already coded. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that is a shared set of specification to help speed things up in terms of product development. Mm -hmm. But in that process, there's a lot of stuff that is broken, to be honest, because um, design tools um, were not meant for designer-to-developer collaboration until very recent Figma config, where they released DevMod, uh, which is just a fascinating way of collaborating with engineers. Um, so I would I really like to give this example of design systems that design systems are internal products with internal customers. Those internal customers are engineers, um, marketing people, designers, uh, product managers, a lot of stakeholders inside the company. Uh, but the problem is that that internal product doesn't have any visibility. Mm -hmm. Like people cannot track who is using that how they're using it. The components you mean? Or? Yeah, uh, how often they're using it. Um, are they actually using it, reusing it? How, For example, there is an iOS application, an Android application, the web platform. Um, web platform is using design system like, very extensively, but the iOS application people like engineers from iOS, they're not using it. Possibly there's an issue with that. Possibly the version is outdated for the iOS library or whatever. So um, I would love to give the parallel in the analytics word. Basically, Stylebit is Amplitude for design systems. So Amplitude is that product analytics tool. We are, uh, we're a dev tool, basically dev and design tool, but mostly a dev tool, uh, which gives that visibility and analytics on design systems hmm. and how they are performing in the real world, who is using it, how they're using it. And also we're aiming to make the platform extensible uh, so people can just easily write their own plugins. Built on top. Of yeah, so they can track their own metrics because the OKRs around design systems are different from company to company. Uh, one, of the, one of the customers we're right now talking to, uh, so they're really wanting to track uh, the amount of the components from a design system being documented. So that is their own metric. Uh, and there is their own specific case. They want to track that metric. We want to What do does that. it mean for it to be documented? So there is also a really uh, hot topic right now in design system space that the design system should be documented. Mm -hmm. By documented, we mean like a plain documentation on how the certain components should be used. Like mm. a button component should be used like this, that, and that. So if you are using dark theme, you should include this or that. Like it's a, just a plain documentation that we all, all know, but specifically tailored to design system needs. So they are also counting accessibility issues and stuff. It's a written documentation mm -hmm. on how to use it. But is that use case for companies that build design systems internally for their own products yes. or design systems that they release for other people to take and use? That's a good one. Both of them have a documentation. Like uh, right now, if you Google Salesforce Lightning, which is one of the big, like really big design systems, public design systems from Salesforce, they do have that, their own documentation. And you can click button and you can see the usage report, like how you can use the button, uh, the do's and don'ts, uh, how to use the button with an icon <laughs> and whatever. So that's just a plain documentation on how to use it. Um, that's a good one because all the public design systems do they do do have a documentation website, but internal ones usually do not. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually companies are getting more involved into just having a documentation. But one of the companies we were speaking, they were just really happy documenting it in Notion. One of the companies were really happy documenting in Confluence. One of the just documents inside the Figma, mm -hmm. like it's just enough for them. So it's a problem that every company solves by themselves and how it's best for them, basically. Um, so one of the companies uh, that reached out to us, uh, they were documenting their design system inside the storybook, mm -hmm. which is a code, a dev tool, which, which enables the developers to have that separate playground for design systems. And they wanted to specifically track um, the amount of components being documented inside the storybook. That is basically a little bit out of our scope. That is why it's a really, really good use case where the external plugins 
can um, can help here. So uh, we're giving that plugin environment, and right. then the engineers from uh, from that company can just in in a couple of hours can write their own plugin and right. just track whatever they want. Interesting. Give us some more examples of what people can track using using Stylebit. Oh, what so are, what are the most popular ones? Yeah. So the general one is the what's called the adoption rate. It's a very vague uh, thing to mm-hmm. say, like um, adoption rate. So what we mean by adoption rate? How the design system is being adopted by the internal products, basically. So let's say if we have a design system in place, and I am a developer of a front-end application for that product. So the amount of times I'm reusing the components from a design system, the amount of times I'm reusing it correctly, mm-hmm. the amount of times I'm overriding them, changing them, uh, and also how many times I'm using something to create UI which is not in the design system. Hmm. Those are just the generic metrics that we're tracking, uh, but also yeah. so just for both myself and for the audience to make sure I understood correctly. So let's say there's a component that is you know the medium-sized button on a website, right? That has its own set ratios and sizes, right? Every time that component is used on the website. It should be used based on those standards that yes. were set in the design system, and then if the developer messes with those uh, ratios or sizes, you guys track that and say that there's lack of uniformity now because the scale yeah, that is, of it that is really correct. Okay. So that is one of the things that we are tracking. Yes. So okay. how they're using it, how they're misusing it, uh, because um, I mean from the code side, they say hard science. Like uh, if right. it's React, it's a props that you can control right. into CSS classes or whatever. We really can track it. So yeah, that is one of the use cases. Yeah, that's definitely one of the use cases. But also one of the aims of ours is uh, to give that, um, we're right now working on it, to give that natural language interface on top of all that data. Because not all product managers are engineers or engineer focused or whatever. So we are really aimed to give that natural language interface for not so for stakeholders to ask questions. Like the plain questions that we know that we can ask to ChatGPT, but specifically tell it with around the data we've gathered around this right. system. For example, a product manager can ask how often um, engineers in front end up using the elements from a design system, and we can answer that question. So that is really aim of ours because. In smaller companies, smaller to medium companies, usually they don't have a head of design who can propagate all that information to the other stakeholders. So usually those are director of products, um, product people, CEOs even. So they are really, like, it's it's really useful for them to have that natural language interface right. to just uh, right. have that conversation there and just have their answers mm-hmm. and that's it. So one of the most interesting use cases that I think some of these LLM APIs mm-hmm. have opened up is non-technical people that work at really like hard engineering companies like ai companies like even just like a company that has a front end that they've built themselves right things that they have to track oftentimes the product manager or project managers that are the ones that are interfacing with the customers and getting that feedback yeah but they because they don't have the technical background they often just have to relay that information to the engineering teams and then there's there's always like some piece that gets missed right like along that like broken telephone conversation yeah but now that they have just a more natural way of interacting with a really technical product a product that they're managing it really opens up a new a new world of them gaining insights into how the product is being used. Yeah, right? so that's, that's really that's, interesting that you guys have integrated that. In. Yeah, that's really really good use case. I mean, uh, when I was starting to use Mixpanel uh, to track whatever our, is happening on our platform, I wasn't like I'm an engineer. Right? Right. I don't know about the conversion rates and whatever. I'm learning that, of course. Right. But in general, uh, when I was just getting started to track metrics, it was really like uh, it was a really good learning curve for me. Like I was just taking the Mixpanel documentation, understanding how can I put the events and whatever. So. So um, at the end of the day, I was, okay, I'm tracking whatever I want. So how can I measure like the conversion? How can I measure this or that? So for me, it was a really good use case to just ask that question after I have all these events uh, set up already. But uh, like w- how we were doing prior to whatever with this generative AI and LLM mm-hmm. stuff, uh, the softwares like the Mixpanel had, this, had its own um, way of tracking it. So you needed to create, like, you need to track the signups and then whatever metric you want to 
track that conversion rate, right? So possibly sign up and let's say subscription. Right. Like you're tracking who, who's signed up and then tracking uh, who's subscribed. And then you can con understand the conversion rate from people who are signing up and who are starting to pay, right? Um, so that is one of the really interesting uh, spaces that I'm really in thinking around right now. And I'm also trying to write a blog post about it on how current LLMs and uh, the AI interfaces, the buzzword or whatever, is changing how we're interacting with, uh, I would say, compute. Hmm. Like, not the software, but how we're interacting with the compute, how we can, co how we do have that human-compute interaction rather than human-computer interaction. So, human-computer interaction, what do yeah. you mean by that? So, always we had human-computer interaction, right? Because we had a, um, some machine which were doing the computation for us and we as humans had to interact with it. So right now it's really, really starting to change. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people seen the recent Microsoft announcements in the Bing chat. Mm -hmm. Like you can, um, in let's say you're in a, you want to make a pasta. Uh, in a website uh, which gives some recipe for a pasta, like whatever pasta you imagine, um, you can interact with the chat and it can give you all the ingredients you need, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can write, order them for me. Right. And Bing chat orders them from Instacart. Uh, and you, in that case, you never went to Instacart. Right. You never clicked some things inside Instacart. You never did anything in Instacart, right? But then you, you see that very small window there inside the chat where you can just click order. Basically, a lot of designers just really cried there because they designed the interface for Instacart. They designed how you should interact with the Instacart. Mm. Um, but right now you're just skipping that. So basically that interaction with the software. So previously the interaction was the hard-coded thing with designers did, right? So designers were coding quote-unquote, uh, your interaction with the platform. So you have a large button, you click it, right? The call to action buttons or whatever. So that is also why I, we think that the design itself is, itself is changing a bit because right now we do have that middle interface. We can right. basically interact with whatever application is there without even having an interface. Like in this case, Instacart. You were just ordering something from Instacart without even visiting there. Right. Um, so it's really, really exciting times, to be honest, there, mm. because design tools are really evolving into generative AI design tools. Uh, but the like the platforms like ChatGPT with the plugins, if you have a ChatGPT Plus and you have the plugin access, you can never even visit Expedia, basically. Yeah. And you can basically uh, do everything from there. I would not say that the ChatGPT itself is a really good product. Like It's a separate, okay, it's a chatbot, you can do that. But in general, that gives us a thought that the interfaces are really changing. I'm not a fan of chat interfaces, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, we can see that there is a change. The knowledge discovery method for oh, most yeah. people is totally changing. Oh, yeah. Right? That is like, like, yeah. To be honest, like the search experience is changing. Yeah. My, my biggest thing is I do use ChatGPT a lot for knowledge discovery, but at the end of the day, you still have to go back to Google and verify it because you can't fully rely on the information that it's giving you yet. So if it could just almost like source where it's getting the yeah. thing from, then it would be make at least my life much easier. It would save me a step of first going to Google and doing the search yeah. and finding the article that would verify that information. That is where the BARD will came in. I mean, yeah. will come in. Uh, I'm, I'm really betting on Google efforts around BARD. Yeah. Uh, like possibly I'm the only one. Yeah, I was just uh, going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm like, it's it, uh, like... Yeah. If from a very, very higher standpoint, I mean, Google is... But they, they should be able to because they're the leaders of that, right? Like, I mean, transformers were created inside Google. Even I if mean, we put that aside, like... Of course, They're yeah. the best people in the world to index information. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a very good point. But, I mean, um, having a good scientist and using that to have a really good application for a product, those yeah. are just really separate things. For and sure. that is where OpenAI like, really shined there, right? They created a product that people were using. Yeah. Uh, so who cares about from like in, from a consumer perspective? Who cares about the lab where we were creating transformers? Basically, right, from a right. consumer perspective. Right. But yeah, I mean, I really just will always bet on Google in yeah. terms of that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll wait because Bard. Uh, I've I've seen a demo of Bard where they sourcing the information. Mm -hmm. So it was like a very natural way of doing the search and plus the Bard experience with the LLM. So I think Bing Chat does it as well, right? Bing mm -hmm. is very good. Yeah. Like it's like hell again. Like yeah. in terms of the integrations, in terms of doing like 
Uh, it's really, really yeah. good. And we right now we can really see that the Google search is uh, declining a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a game for like it's a long game. Yeah, I think. for sure. But coming back to design systems. Yeah. Um, what changes for design systems in the age of knowledge discovery or even just interacting with apps being done more through these LLM UIs? Yeah, sure. That's yeah. a good one. That's a really good one. So uh, let me start with uh, what I think in terms of how design and code will change a bit in this generative AI and stuff. So uh, the best case scenario, and I th- I'm sure it will be the case, that all the user interfaces basically will be generated right out after the design tools. Like we see that right now. So Figma demo that they are uh, they currently the VS Code extension with for Figma you can auto complete the code with just pressing tabs. Auto complete the UI uh, from a design. So you build the components in Figma and then through VS Code it automatically generates yeah, the front end like code. Like a that copilot. Would, yeah. Yes. So it's it's still early stages. <coughs> They're only supporting CSS. Yeah. Uh, but for sure they will going to support React and whatever there. And also there is an extension called Anima, mm-hmm. um, which just exports code from the design. Yeah. Um, so we will see. I'm not a fan of that because there are a lot of stuff to consider because accessibility is one issue. Long-term usage scale, like long-term vision of those components and the design system can be really tricky to handle. But I mean, like uh, it's, it's, it's a problem to which can be solved of course but usually like you can generate landing pages but you i think cannot generate right now like video editing software hmm. so it's a really hard challenge because the, the interactivity is very too much and like, the functionality yeah, of that is yeah. much different than a landing yeah, page, yeah 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 and it's um changing very rapidly the interactions are massive um so yeah i mean um landing pages whatever which is static um, like static in, in means that they, there is no interactivity. I would not say that the blog pages or whatever. So which are st- the interfaces which are static can be generated with uh, out of design tools, with the extensions or at the end of the day with Figma. Uh, but when we reach to that places in the applications where everything is dynamic, interactions are really high and whatever, I think there is there will be a lack of just easily generating things with the copilot or whatever. Right. Uh, I mean, not copilot with a Figma with extension. something like that, yeah. Code so, generation. Yeah, platform. so design tools are will be really good in reusing the de- design system elements when, when they are generating those static pages. Like whenever you have a design system in place, Figma will reuse everything from there right. when you're generating that the code for a landing page. They just do need to have access to that design system library, uh, which is oftentimes a JavaScript library there. Right. In, in the front-end applications. So it just needs to have the access to that and can generate the code mm-hmm. using, reusing the components from that design system. But there is a really interesting thing we're trying to explore there because the design systems itself, itself they're not static. They're evolving. Right. So how that re- the feedback loop will happen whenever their design system is changing in, in the code side, we need to somehow tell the Figma AI or whatever that, hey, there is a change there. You need to apply those changes there to reuse it. So a lot of things to think there, of course. Uh, But yeah, so um, design systems, in my opinion, they're not static, they're dynamic. Using them for static user interfaces with design tools that can auto-generate code, yes, that application is very good. But for more um, like dynamic places where the interactions are high, the Using reuse of that design system is a, actually a job of an engineer. Yes. Right, right. So uh, the tracking, the metrics, there will always be there. And also we're trying to explore how we can be that place where uh, we can give how AI is using the design mm-hmm. system place, like how it is uh, reusing the elements from a design system. Because like when AI is generating the code using uh, your design system, there is also things to track. Like how it generated the code, um, how often it is reusing the button component if there is a new button, com- new version of a button component or whatever. So there's also a good mm. data to gather there. 
uh, which I mean, we're still so exploring. It could yeah. almost become like a monitoring system for yeah. AI front end uh, engineer, like is, like AI yeah. systems that build front ends. There right? is definitely a thing which we're yeah. trying to explore, like yeah. how we can be useful there. Because right. um, yeah, so we need to explore there. But that's yeah, really that's just general ideas that we want to explore. There. Yeah. When you started saying that, uh, okay, so AI systems will automatically generate the code for mm -hmm. these components that are built in tools like Figma. Yeah. My first thought was, well, that's a big challenge for you guys. Yeah. It becomes much more uniform throughout, and there's probably less to track. Yeah. But there's now, um, it, the way that you just presented it, it seems like there's also a huge opportunity for actually sort of like doing oversight on yes. how the AI systems are, or if the AI systems are doing it correctly. Right. So, and also the application there to, uh, I mean, we can gather all that data, right, on how people were using the design system and how right, right. the AI systems are reusing the elements from a design system. But if the design systems are, are evolving, there needs to be some like feedback loop right. coming back right. from a design system to those AI systems. Right. So um, how we can be that middleman? How we can create that platform that uh, it can be that data can be useful for the, all those AI systems? Uh, so yeah, we we have a focus on it also. So we're exploring, but I don't, I can't say that we have like these solutions yeah. for that. So yeah, it's just a field we're exploring. Yeah. I want to go back to the metric tracking for a second. I think you briefly touched on it, but are you guys able to also give feedback to the design and development teams on whether or not some designs are working or not? Like, can you almost, almost like not A-B testing, but like, can you get feedback from whether or not this is a successful design in terms of like increasing like user growth or like things like that? Or that's is that a, out of your scope? Yeah, that's a very good question. So what we're exploring in that space. So basically to understand and calculate the return of investment of a design system, right. we need to project that into actual product development workflows. Right. So for example, one thing we're uh, trying to explore also too is to how we can integrate with the productivity tool to tools like Linear, mm. Jira, uh, GitHub issues or whatever, and how we can track the um, let's say there is a ticket for which needs to, like the engineer who's resolving that ticket needs to use elements from a design system and uh, with that metrics in place our metrics in place and having that data there how we can track if so here's the scenario front end application uses the design system uh, adopted the design system for 70% like 70% of the components are from the design system what is the time there to reach when the engineer starts to take that ticket and closes that ticket, and what is that time when the design system is being adopted by 80%. So how we can track that can eventually lead to really calculating that ROI for a design system. Mm -hmm. uh, but we need to be integrated into um, productivity tools or just issue tracking tools like right. Linear, Jira, um, or whatever, like the product management tools. So yeah, we are really thinking towards that. I think we're, the first thing we'll release, it's, it will be an integration with Linear, and we'll try to understand how we can connect the metrics of a design system being adopted and the metrics on how people are, like the faster development paces mm -hmm. and the metrics around design system, how they correlate with each other. I think that's where the value will be. Yeah. Not just itself in a design system space because there's mostly, mostly a dev tool. But this metric will affect the product development. Eventually, will, as you mentioned, will uh, refer to a user growth, a yeah. revenue, whatever. So yeah, there is for sure an aim of ours to just also track this. So, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Let's get to a little bit of like your the startup's journey. Yeah, because uh, I, I saw online that you guys started way back in 2018. Oh, is yeah, that, is that right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we. So tell us a little bit about yeah. how. I'm sure, like as every startup does, you guys pivot a little bit. You yeah, guys yeah. find your footing and yeah. tell us how you got to this idea. Oh yeah, so back in 2018, the pain, yeah. um, there was only me and uh, so we are three co-founders. Uh, me, Hovanes Revonjan, who is who is doing the product and uh, business side of things with me, and Moses Saponjan, who is the CTO. So back in 2018, me and Moses just get together and started to work on this, but. Um, I think we're not mature enough uh, in terms of having a good experience, um, understanding the market, really being in that place in terms of the maturity to really do this. So after a couple of months, we just paused it. So basically 2018 was just two months efforts and then we paused it and then we continued uh, 
I think it was like, yeah, uh, summer last year. Mm-hmm. So basically, the company is really, really young in terms of right. that. The efforts are not, right. but the company is really, really young. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's when we uh, came together, like summer of last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, started prototyping very little things. Um, so, yeah, and then we reached out to Big Story. Actually, our first demo was on the Crisps website. We we downloaded the in the all the CSS and HTML from the Crisp website, uh, hacked around it like to have that UI in place, created a separate website called For Crisp, right. and we um, put our platform there. And it was whole another thing there. Like we've pivoted v- like very hard. So it was the first first prototype was a control panel where the product managers and designers can change the preferences of the application without even engineers to present, like, to be present in that process. So let's say we are designers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Stylebit, we can change one color to another and just reload the production website. It will be updated. Right. So it was uh, mostly going towards the A-B testing tools. But the A-B testing, the A-B testing tools and the market there is very saturated. Yeah. There are a lot of super players there. Yeah, yeah, super competitive. A lot of players there. A lot of big ones, a lot of small ones. So, And also it wasn't like net natural place for us because um, I mean we all are engineers all the co-founders are engineers we really understand the engineering side of things and not understanding like we don't understand the marketing side of things right. yet right. Um, so so yeah I mean that's just that was just came natural for us to just pivot a little bit around so okay the colors are the elements from a design system oh yeah so the design system is the larger picture um, because also the problem we faced back in 2018 came from the design system. So it was mostly we came back to our roots, basically. Mm-hmm. Started to work on this, uh, what we call syncing engine. So what we were doing, the first version was we synchronized the design system from the design tool to the code base. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if a designer changes something inside the design tool in, in for a design system, like changes color, updates typography, a new font, changes border radius or whatever, we automatically propagate those changes to the GitHub. Uh, so there is no any people or human right. labor basically right. involved in that process where designers should just message them, talk with them, sing around changes and stuff. But in a really, really hard way, we understood that it's just a very, very small feature. Right. It's not a standalone product. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every, every startup learns during Absolutely. the way. Yeah. So, yeah. and. It was really helpful. Like we went to a pioneer accelerator mm-hmm. um, from March, April, May till May. Uh, it really helped us a lot. Is that in the US? Or? Yeah. Uh, and the f- the founder of Pioneer Accelerator is uh, one of the investors in Figma, in Notion, Deal, Airtable. Nice. So yeah. So the environment was like mini Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it it was really helpful. The people there were really really helpful in terms of like really finding our focus. So yeah, and then like uh, we always had that feedback from the customers or the customer interviews that people want to really understand how design system is doing Mm -hmm. but really um i mean we were really ignoring all those stuff Mm. like we were like hard ignoring all those stuff just focusing on things we wanted to listen to be honest and one of the mistakes was that so and then we we I mean, okay, let's just read whatever people were telling yeah. us, okay? <laughs> so we were just summarizing everything in yeah. Notion or whatever. So. It's like a typical first-time founder issue, yeah. right? Like you get so obsessed sure, with the sure. product and what you yeah. want to build, but and you, f- you forget that this is a business at the end of the day. Yeah. And yeah. So we all that, go through that. <laughs> that's a very, very good yeah. uh, words you've mentioned. Yeah. It's a business. Yeah. Like people romanticize startups. It is not. I mean, <laughs> please, it is not. I mean... Uh, there is a very recent podcast from Alex Friedman and where is the uh, the guest was Mark Andreessen mm-hmm. from A16Z. Like um, at the end of the podcast, the Mark Andreessen was saying like the founders are most miserable people on the earth. Yeah, like it's <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, like it's really, really, really yeah. hard. Like um, I mean, I also try to be transparent as the uh, as a founder because I really don't like to tell that everything is good or yeah. whatever. Last year on autumn, like September, October, whatever. We were keeping 100% statistic to be re- rejected by every accelerator we were applying to. Yeah. Uh, it was really tough back then. Then we started to be rejected by 100% of VCs, yeah. like in last month or whatever. Like, 
I mean, you, sh you should really start to understand that. Um, I would not say that you should get to thousand no's to get your thousand and first yeah, yes yeah. or whatever. I mean, uh, it's really, in terms of that, it's really a game of numbers. Sure. One, it's a, it's a business, nothing to romanticize. Yeah. You need to charge your customers. Yeah. Like, uh, I was really afraid of talking to customers around pricing and whatever, and turned out it is not that scary. Like that dramatic and romantic thing, when you can put that aside, I mean, everything becomes a little bit more clear. Mm -hmm. Everything becomes more hard science-y thing. Yeah. Um, so for example, in sales outreach, uh, it's just numbers. Um, so every, every free minute, you can ask yourself, why I'm not writing this cold email? Yeah. Um, so if you're reaching out to 200 people, you get, you get zero replies. Okay. Like, send to another 200, send then another 200. And then it's just a matter of efforts. Yeah. And like, you're not getting that uh, satisfaction back, but you need to keep pushing. So that is when everything gets miserable and yeah. stuff. <laughs> so you're just like um, shooting in the air yeah. and hoping that we'll reach to yeah. the, um, yeah, to Another the thing is, so. um, like I've made this mistake in the past is, like as engineers, we think like, Oh, yeah. We think like you're going in to build something. Oh yeah, you're going in to sell something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the building is the fun little part of the first couple of months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of the startup, but then like it becomes like you forget your engineering background. Like like oh, to go yeah. pick up some MBA books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's like, like uh, very good point. Yeah. Like the point when I realized that, like it was the whole world changed yeah. for me. Yeah. Because the first version of our product, like I was coding yeah. most was Moses were coding Kovanes was yeah. coding we were like doing this stuff I mean I think okay we will do this like I can just put this on Reddit yeah. and people will use it I mean <laughs> hell no like they will not they will yeah. never like, it's, it's not yeah. the way yeah, that's how it works do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also what I've discovered to myself is that like the traditional growth stuff it will also not work for you if you don't understand those kind of stuff. Yeah. So, of course, I was picking some business books and stuff to read, right? I was not understanding whatever there is written there. Yeah. So I was just, just reading it. Sure. But so there is also one thing that you need to read the books in like in parallel as your progress as a founder. So the very part that you understand that you, that you need to do sales, that is the part when you should pick up the sales book. Right. So there is when the books are most helpful to mm -hmm. you. So, yeah, we did, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we're doing everything wrong today too. Like it's Don't a say that. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's an it, yeah. like it's a process. Like it's a real process where you don't get any feedback. The real feedback is the customer. Like, sure. uh, one of the biggest mistakes for us was to be uh, being being focused on investments. Hmm. Like, I think that there's a quote from YC that you should not build for your investors, you should build for customers. I mean, that's, a pl that's, that's it's, very, it's very so simple. Common sense, but yeah. It's so very, like, yeah. it's so simple, but yet uh, a lot of people are getting into that trap, and as we also did. Um, but I would say that uh, being in, like, we've been into an interview with Y Combinator, and it's a totally different experience. Uh, even only the, the interview part changed our business model, like, completely. So I would just imagine yeah. what what will be go through. The David from Active Loop had yeah. the same story. Like literally, I think in between like their first and second interview, they like went back to the hotel and changed something, and then went back and and yeah. it was like a different product. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, we're um, right now. We um, in terms of like those were just the stories about. Yeah, so sure. right no, now, but it's we, interesting because I think if none of this is meant to even like just discourage people oh, from yeah, entrepreneurship. Sure. Like. I think a friend of mine, Gilbert Solomonian, yeah, founder yeah. of AIM, uh -huh. he put it really well. Like, if you care about building, there's a lot to build on the business side too. Like, you build systems that like yeah. scale with your company that yeah. ensure that your team is successful and working well and stuff. So, like, if you're a builder, it shouldn't like discourage you from oh. go, moving from code to like building like human systems. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's still a lot of interesting work to be done. That's there. that's yeah. That those are yeah. very good. But points. you just need to, I think, make that realization that. Your yes. job is going to transition from, you know, writing code to build the product of to course, yeah. building like human systems and like a bigger vision for what the product is going to be in order to but, to build the company. Uh, those are like really great points because yeah. I mean, uh, if you choose that, if you want to be a founder, you need to transition from being an engineer to something else. Yeah, like if you uh, even if you're the CEO or co-founder title gives you the right to do everything basically. Right. If right now you need to do marketing efforts, you just learn marketing. Right. If right now you you need to do sales, you learn how to do sales. Right. Of course, not that well. 
but at least you, you should put in the efforts to do the sales because you need to then hire a sales professionals or whatever. But I'm a fan of like keeping everything minimal. So sure. we're basically a year old company. We're just three, three co-founders here. We don't have any contractors. We don't have anyone else besides us working there because I, I, I just really want for us and the team wants to squeeze every every little detail out of us right then we can hire someone. Right. Um, so that is just a one idea on how we want to proceed. But yeah, in general, it's, um, it's extremely rewarding. Mm-hmm. It's extremely hard. Uh, but I mean, this is one of the like uh, efforts you can, like, after being an engineer or marketer or product manager, after you reach some point, you want to create something if, you're a, if, if you do have that feeling inside. When I got my first computer, from that point on, I knew that I sh- will build something right. at some point in time. Right. Uh, but if you do have that feeling, really go and start the startup because, I mean, it's, it will be really hard. Uh, like, it's extremely, extremely hard. People don't realize the amount of the if we can put the scale of hardness right it's like or whatever <laughs> it's off the chart <laughs> yeah it's like uh and things are like uh, out of like there can sometimes um be scenarios where you never predict what will going to happen um so yeah i mean um it's really hard but it's extremely rewarding if you if if someone has that feeling inside that they want to build something that's the very first thing that should they yeah. do, exit the company and go build something right it's hard but yeah i mean um, yeah, I mean, it's fun. And yeah. I mean, it's also, it's really, really fun. Right, right. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier. You, two of your investors are Formula VC and uh, Big Story VC, both Armenian VC funds. You said that you guys created, like, before you pivoted to your the current mm-hmm. version of Staba, you built something for Crisp. Uh, for people who don't know, one of the founding partners of Big Story is are the co-founders of, of the Crisp, yeah. Crisp, Davitin, uh, Arta. Arta mm-hmm. This is one of the like, best pieces of advice I've ever gotten. And it sounds kind of like a nonsensical like LinkedIn influencer mm-hmm. post, but um, <laughs> it's like create value for someone before you ask for it. So, oh, like, yeah. And it really reminded me of what you did, trying to solve like a pain point for Crisp to show David like <laughs> that where the the use could be right and yeah when you're going to ask him for investment yeah um mm-hmm. so was that meeting like produ- i know you guys pivoted but was that meeting productive to get the big story investment um i would not say it was solving a problem okay. for them it was really a like um uh, it was good in the sense that we've put in efforts to do something for them right so yeah um i mean it was like getting an investment it was really hard because i'm I'm sure every investor uh, is afraid that the uh, all co-founders are in engineers mm-hmm. because engineers are like uh, people with the very high uh, possibly egos or whatever right. because they're the creators or whatever. But the quote unquote. Right. But um, <laughs> I mean, the, because the engineers should learn the marketing, sales, and whatever, whatever. So after we've built that, the conference name was Emerge. Emerge conference. Mm-hmm. It was back in June first last, last year, year yeah. right? Yeah, so at that time, uh, me and uh, Hovannes uh, saw David because David was a speaker there from Crisp. Um, and we just ran into him like, and started to say, like, hey, we're building this uh, and we built this small demo or whatever. Um, he told, okay, Arto is the best uh, person here because he's, familiar, he's the founder of 10Web, the website builder. He's, he's familiar with this space. So then we got the meeting. I want to say that also, as with this um, a possibility to the general public, every single minute with Arto, it's like the thing you want is you if you're a founder. So one of the most productive talks we had was with Arto from 10Web and from Crisp. It was June 1st, and then I think we've received an investment on August or at the start of September. So it was, it was quite yeah. a long time, like three, three and a half months. Yeah. But yeah. We, yeah. we did that uh, and then after that scaled from there yeah so you guys have now received uh, pre-seed investments I guess from Formula VC and Big Story VC yeah and then the accelerator the Pioneer Accelerator the Pioneer also joined in yeah, yeah a couple of months later because uh, yeah we went to an accelerator later on so yeah it's, uh, for us it's a pre-seed funding right now we're raising our seed round uh, right when we graduated the Pioneer Accelerator it sort of pushed us towards the demo day of sure. their own yeah. and then pushed us towards fundraising I mean, uh, we also knew that it's, it, mm-hmm. we, we start the fundraising for the seed stage. So, yeah, I mean, right now the efforts are there. So it's just ongoing efforts <laughs> right. for raising the seed round. Yeah. Right. 
Okay. Can you tell us anything else about where the company is right now in terms of usage? and? Oh, yeah. So we have around 500 customers on the platform. Uh, we're not doing any marketing or whatever. People are just finding us and using it um, because designers and developers, the designers use love communities. Developers love open source. We don't have anything open source yet, but, we'll, but we will have. Um, so designers are just finding us. Uh, they're just using the platform to synchronize the design, the design system with the code base. Um, and also currently, as we have the waitlist for the adopt for the metrics and analytics for a design system, because uh, we're not yet, it's not a GA, like it's not a general availability. Uh, we're working with one of the earlier customers we had uh, in terms of the testing and just doing everything with the metrics and the analytics around design mm-hmm. system. Uh, we're really closely working with PayPal, but PayPal is a really larger um, company. With they're waiting to for us to show the demo to them. So fingers crossed, we can uh, we can have something there. Um, so yeah, I mean uh, those individuals are just finding us and just using it. Uh, but may, our main focus is around design system metrics and analytics. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the thing that that is almost the most requested thing so right. it's so we're all our focus is there we're supporting the platform of course um so it's not a complete pivot uh, the design system metrics and analytics will be in the platform the current platform um so yeah i think then and, and right now we're raising our seed round um the the best aim is to like 1.52 millions it's an also an ongoing pro- process right i don't have anything to share from there but sure. yeah, yeah hopefully yeah yeah is it still as tough out there as as people were saying last year? Or um, has it gone a little bit better for raising? I think uh, it is. I mean, it is really tough. Um, it is for sure really tough, even in, to compare to pre-COVID uh, um, stages. A lot of our competitors raised uh, like 10 plus million rounds and really had problems with scaling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we understood the problems very early on. Yeah, the scaling problems. Yeah. Uh, that eventually they w- w- we're gonna face in cu- in couple of years. They are facing it right now, so we are really lucky in terms of un- understanding the problem in the very early stages. Mm. But the funding e- uh, ecosystem is really really tough right now. Like it is tough for B two Bs. I mean, I cannot imagine how tough it is for B two Cs. Yeah, like it's way tougher for them. Yeah, you you need to be a warrior if you want to raise B two C in yeah. uh, venture funding in B two C. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, just hands-on respect there if, <laughs> if, if someone can raise the B2C. Yeah. So uh, in B2Bs, in our case, it's a little bit different. So Stylebit is a vertical SaaS. It's not, so we are a niche vertical. So we're solving specific problem um, for a specific set of companies. But in general, those companies are basically all the digital products mm-hmm. uh, because every digital product basically uses some some form of a design system, either open source one like Material or whatever, or they're some baking something in-house. So basically, um, from a very higher point of view, every digital product can be our potential customer. Right. Uh, so, But it solves a very specific niche inside that company. But our vision is to like um, get get there um, measure the design system and then slowly grow horizontally in those companies uh, to be a more like one of the vision, one of the things that we're also exploring on how we can become a really good tool to onboard new designers hmm. uh, to show them report on how to use this, this design system. These are the documentation. This is the usage. So so them too can quickly onboard them. So uh, there is a vertical SaaS. So vertical SaaS mostly are um, tracked with the different metrics. So when we were at uh, when when we we're back in Silicon Valley, the couple of VCs were telling us that it's really enough for us if you have like four design partners and mm-hmm. zero revenue. So the vertical SaaS for vertical SaaS, you should be really really good expert in the field. Like you really should understand design systems, engineering side, business side, um, design side, everything there, um, how it is affecting everything. Like you should really be a good field expert and also having. Uh, an experience prior to working on design tools. Right. Uh, it's very, very helpful for us here. Um, I would not say that it's a very, like a good environment for vertical SaaS to raise right now, but it's, the metrics are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Sure. For traditional horizontal SaaS, it's the attraction, of course, but our attraction is just the amount of design partners we have, mm-hmm. um, what are they saying, and how we see, what we see as the sustainable growth model from mm-hmm. early on. So, right. yeah. Fantastic. How big is your team now? Uh, it's three of us. 
It's still it's the a, three yeah, co-founders. It's two of us. Cool. We have three co-founders there. So we're covering everything. So it's a fun thing. I'm a designer right now. So uh-huh. <laughs> I'm right now designing the new interfaces. Uh, after, like yesterday, I was a salesperson. Um, yeah. So also yesterday, Hovannes was the marketing right. guy. <laughs> all uh, but yeah, so it's, we're, we're trying to do yeah. everything. And uh, it's, it's all right. I mean, uh, of course, the efforts are there. I mean, um, it's, it's just hard work. I mean, yeah. uh, you should code, then you should design, then you should write the sales outreach, uh, then you should um, do the prospecting call yeah. and everything there. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, I mean, we're doing everything. Um, I think we're going to have someone... I mean, we do need key roles that we should hire. There is also the where the fundraising comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. We, yeah. I think we'll definitely have uh, like three or four people maximum join us. Um, maybe at the end of the... Next year's summer, at the end of this time period, uh, I think definitely we'll have three or four people join us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but still the team is really small. Okay, so people who might be interested, they can follow you guys and oh and, yeah, and look that's, out that's for, for sure. Yeah, yeah, like that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, last question: Where do you hope to see Stylebit in, in five years? Oh, um, that's a. I mean, if we can survive this, <laughs> um, no, um, we really see that the Stylebit can become the go-to dev tool for all the companies that should that want to track uh, and understand what is going on with their design system. We want to really become that go-to solution there where people just know us and people are going to use it. We really, really want to explore all the ways we can help with uh, AI systems to generate the code. And I would not say we uh, we want to become a bigger company. I want I really want for us to become a small, small team, but a very good team. So By big, you mean uh, like not a, a thousand people. But yeah, like, of course. Like, used by millions of people. Yeah, mi- tens of used by of millions of people, but uh, being like a 20 or 30 people team. Yeah, and like, lean sort of. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. like more like Swiss knives. <laughs> mostly, <laughs> right. yeah, more, more like right. that. Uh, I mean, I don't have any experience with the people culture and whatever, but I, I, I'm sure I will learn and uh, we as a team can tackle that. But yeah, being a small team, um, tackling really huge markets um, and being uh, also also investing in open source it's as of we are engineers it's really close to our hearts basically so of course wait to see some 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 stuff from salby to be open source um so yeah i think the to be the go-to solution to be a really really happy and a small good team that's a dream of ours um so yeah i mean we don't want to tackle like the very very large things so small things like small steps until you get so, to yeah. The, yeah. The, the top. Yeah. yeah. When you learn about the people culture and stuff, you'll come back and tell us about oh, it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll <laughs> Thank you so much. For, it was a really, really awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you, you very, very much for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. Wish you a lot of luck with all that. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. <laughs>